This guy is flying on an all-night flight to Eretz Yisrael. He's trying to get some sleep. When he hears the guy in the seat next to him starts whimpering, crying. Oive, Oive, I'm so thirsty. I'm so thirsty. The guy can't take it anymore. He gets up from his seat, he marches down to the galley, gets a bottle of water, marches back to his seat, pours it in a cup, gives it to the guy next to him, says, here, here's some water. Drink it, you won't be thirsty, and both of us can get some rest. The guy drinks the water. It's quiet. All right, now we can finally get some sleep. Shuts his eyes, starts to drift off. All of a sudden, he's woken up. He hears the guy in the seat next to him saying, Oy vey! Oy vey! I was so thirsty. I was so thirsty. Okay. Parshas Dvarim is the first parsha of the fifth book of the five books. Parshas Dvarim, Sefer Dvarim. These are the words that Mesha spoke. El Kol Yisrael to the entire Jewish nation. This is the 40th year. The very end of the travels in the wilderness. They're about to enter the promised land. Mesha is giving his final farewell address to the people. Where does it take place? The first verse tells us where it takes place. On the other side of the Jordan, in the wilderness. Okay. Now, I should mention the first verse of the fifth book and the last verse of the fourth book, now this is Bamidbar, Sefer Bamidbar, take place in exactly the same location. So where did, and they're just one verse apart because the last verse of Bamidbar, the fourth book, comes right before the first verse of the fifth book, Dvarim. So where did Bamidbar leave off? It tells us. Here's the last verse of Bamidbar. These are the commandments and the laws that Hashem commanded through Moshe El Bnei Yisrael to the Jewish people. Where? In the plains of Moav on the, on the Jordan near Yerechai, the city of Yerechai. Okay. So here's a question. These two settings are one setting. The last verse of the fourth book, the first verse of the fifth book, it's exactly the same place. How come it's described two different ways? That's, that's the first question we're asking today. Second question. The way it's described at the end of the fourth book is more specific than the way it's described at the beginning of the fifth book, which is funny because that's not the normal way that you describe a setting. Like, for instance, if I would say, this story took place in America, in New York, to be exact, right? That would make sense. But if I would say, this, this story took place in New York, in America. Well, you told me in New York. I, I, I know that, that I know America. So you don't go from specific to general, you might go from general to more specific. Well, look what happened here. At the end of Bamidbar, it tells us very specifically, Arvis Mayav. Arvis Mayav, the plains of Mayav, is a specific area in Ever Yardin. Ever Yardin, the other side of the Yardin, is a very, very large area, which basically means anything on the other side of the Jordan River from, from Eretz Yisro. Okay, but at the beginning of Dvarim, all it says is... Ever Yardin by Midbar, in the wilderness on the other side of the Yardin. By the way, you're going to maybe ask, but it says, being Tefo, Velovin. As Rashi explains, those aren't even really locations. Those are encoded uh, messages that Mesha is speaking to the Jewish people, so they're not actually uh, place names. Anyway, 
The place, the setting at the first verse of the fifth book is Eved Yarden by Midbar, on the other side of the wilderness, on the other side of the Jordan, in the wilderness, which is a very general way of, of setting the location. All right, so that's our second question. At the end of Bamidbar, it was very specific about the location, Arvis Mayav, which is a specific place, the plains of Mayav, in Eved Yarden, in the other side of the Jordan territory. And then at the beginning of Dvarim, it gets general again, it just says on the other side of the Jordan. Okay, which is a funny thing to, to go from specific to general when, you know, if you said the specific, we already know the general. Another question is, Eivere um, Yardin literally means the other side. What does it mean, the other side? Other means where you're not, right? Like, where is there? There is not here. And then when you go there, then there becomes here, and here becomes there. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> Wherever you're not is called the other side. So it's funny because it says on the other side, we're talking about the beginning of Devarim, it says this story took place on the other side of the yard. What do you mean the other side? That's where they were. That's where they were at that point. So at that point, that wasn't the other side. That was the side. <laughs> That's where they were. So it's a funny way of describing it. After they enter the land, okay, after they enter Eretz Yisrael, then it makes sense to refer back to the place they came from, where they used to be. That's the other side, where they crossed over from. But when they're still there, it's funny to call that the other side. Okay, so how many questions? We have three, three questions so far? Okay, one question, why is the same exact place described two different ways, in two, different, two verses that are back-to-back? Why does it go from a more specific place description to a more general, which is not normally the way, logically, you would describe a place. Uh, third question, why does it say the other side of the Yarden when it's talking about the side that they were on at that time? That wasn't the other side, that was the side. And in fact, <laughs> at that point, Eretz Yisrael was the other side, right? And, uh, and I'll throw in another question, which is, what does this all have to do with the nine days the period of mourning for the destruction and the, uh, the, the exile that we're in right now, and we're always in when we, when we read Dvarim. And then another question is, what does this, all of this have to do with, Oive, I was so thirsty, I was so thirsty, I was so thirsty. All right. So I'll tell you a little story. They say there was a town where the Chavra Kedisha, the burial society, had a rule that in order to be buried locally in their in their cemetery, you had to be an upstanding person. To be an upstanding person, that meant somebody had to be able to say a hespit, to say a eulogy for you. So if nobody could eulogize you, then you couldn't be buried. Now, it had never been a problem because you could always find something nice to say about everybody, right? Until one time, there's a guy who was just a low-down, dirty, rotten scoundrel. There was nothing that anyone could say nice about him. He died. So... They called a town meeting. What are we going to do about this? Halakhically, we have to bury him as quick as possible, but we have this long-standing tradition in the town, and uh, we can't bury him until we eulogize him. But no one can find anything to say. So this guy gets up in the back. He says, I'll do it. They say, you'll do it? He says, yeah, I'll eulogize him. Okay, go ahead. If you can do it, gesundheit. So he gets up and he says, the man who died today has a brother, and he's worse than him. And they said, you know what? Good enough, that counts. And they buried him. So everything was fine until a year later. What happened? 
the brother died. <laughs> the brother who was worse than the guy who died a year ago, now he died. What are we going to do now? No, there wasn't a third brother. Okay. So now the, 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 the brother died. They called a town meeting. What are we going to do? Who can eulogize him? Who can say anything? Because this guy, he was worse than the guy who died, his brother who died a year ago. Who could say anything nice about him? Little guy gets up in the back, says, I'll do it. I'll eulogize him. They say, Zuntahait, go, go ahead, try. So he gets up and he says, See this man who died today? Because of him, another man was able to be buried. <laughs> okay, what's the point? What's the point of this story? Sometimes we describe something not because of its own merits, not because of what it is, but because of what it's not, because of a negative identity. Now, what's a negative identity in terms of Judaism? I don't mean someone who's, God forbid, ashamed of being Jewish or hides being Jewish. I'm talking about somebody who may actually be proud of their Jewish identity, but it's a negative identity. That is the attitude, the mentality, which we saw by a certain generation, particularly an immigrant generation that came to this country, where their motto was, it's difficult to be Jewish. And they didn't necessarily mean it as a real complaint. Uh, they, they almost meant it like a badge of courage, like a badge of honor. Like, like it's so difficult to do it. Look at all the challenge and the adversity, what we have to overcome. And, and look, at, we are, look at all this that is opposing us, and we are Jewish in spite of it all, right? The problem is, that's a negative identity. That's a negative identity. It tells you what you're Jewish in spite of. It doesn't tell you what you're Jewish because of. And you see that that attitude didn't really transmit very well from one generation to the next. So even these Jews who were, they had Mesidus Nefesh, they had great self-sacrifice, and they were very devoted. And yet, it didn't necessarily carry over very well to their children who looked at, the, the, looked at this and they said, well, you know, you're not really giving me something to, to, to view myself in a positive light that, again, like I say, you're telling me what I'm Jewish in spite of, but you're not telling me what I'm Jewish because of. It's not a positive identity. And, you know, in general, in general, throughout Jewish history, we have been more about defining ourselves in the positive than in the negative. In general, that is the Jewish approach. You know, there's, there, there's a joke. They say, how do you uh, sum up every Jewish holiday? They tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. Okay? And every joke has a little truth, or every truth has a little joke. What, what's the little truth to that joke? Which, it, it's, you know what, they tried to kill us. Okay, what else is new? Every generation, right? In every generation, somebody tries to do it. But they failed. We're still here. What are the details? Not so important. The main thing is, you know, we're still here. Let's eat, right? Let's celebrate. And, and, and the point is that, you know, Jews are funny. Because on one hand, we have this history of persecution and oppression. And, and probably more than any other nation. Because just simply, we've been around the longest. So we've had a chance to be persecuted by the most amount of oppressors. And yet... You know, Jewish identity, generally speaking, is not 
a victim identity. It's not about we're so oppressed, we're so persecuted, we're so marginalized. I mean, you do see that from time to time, and, and like I was mentioning, the Yid mentality. But in general, in general, what's the Jewish attitude? The Jewish attitude is that, you know, we're, we're, we're here for a purpose, we're here for a mission, that uh, we're fortunate, we're fortunate to be Jews, we're fortunate to have this relationship with Hashem. It's a positive identity. Now, is there, is there negativity in our past? Adversity? Challenge? Even, even suffering? Brutality? You know, yeah, 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 that is part of our story. And we're not denying it, we're not pretending it didn't happen, but that's not the main identity. So it's always, you know, it's always funny with the Jews. You know, we're like a minority, but we're not a minority. We're a, we're a minority, but we're privileged, right? And, and it's, it's sort of true because we don't define ourselves as those who have been the underdog throughout history. There's a certain pride, a certain um, self-respect and self-esteem that comes with, with Jewish identity. In other words, like I think, the, the, the positive Jewish identity. And yet, at the same time, a recognition of the troubles, the trials, the tribulations of the past. But, the, but that part, the, 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 what we're Jewish in spite of, is very, very much secondary to the primary identity of what we're Jewish because of. Now, let, let, let's talk about the nine days. We're now in a time of reflecting on the destruction of the temple, which led to the exile of the Jewish people and are being dispersed into a diaspora all over the world and, and, and the persecution that followed for hundreds and, and, and really thousands of years, for two millennia already. Um, how, how are we supposed to look at that? How are we supposed to, how, how are we supposed to feel? Is it a time where we identify ourselves negatively, meaning what we have overcome, what we have had to be Jewish in spite of? Or is it still a time of a positive identity of what we're Jewish because of? Our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations, our goals, what we're moving toward as opposed to you know, what we're moving away from. And, and the answer is, you know, it really depends. It really depends how you view it. There are two perspectives, and, and they both include mourning and being sad during this time of year, but they're two totally different ways of being sad. Two totally different ways of being sad. One way of being sad is, look, it's a time of when the, when the exile started, this is when all of our trouble started, this is when we became persecuted, this is when, you know, all of this sad stuff, and, and it's like rehashing the pain and the suffering and the victimhood, and it's, Oy vey, I was so thirsty, I was so thirsty, I was so thirsty. There's another way, though, of we're looking ahead, we're looking ahead, and we're looking, you know, Mashiach is coming, and, and there's, there's going to be an end to all of this. And this was all part of a process to get us there. The 2,000 years of exile was part of a process to get us to this glorious redemption for, for our people and for the, for the whole world. And, and, and we're yearning for it. We're pining for it. We're longing 
to be there. We want to be there so bad we can already taste it. And therefore we're crying. We're crying because we want to be there so badly. We see our goal. It's so close and we want to get there. You see, two different ways of, of crying, shedding tears, but two totally different uh, self-concepts and, and, and worldviews. One is, I'm crying because life's been so hard and being Jew, Jewish has been so hard, right? And the other is, I'm crying because we're heading to something so beautiful and so glorious and, and, and I want it now already. Think about it this way. When you're, when you're driving on the road, you have the windshield and you have the rearview mirror. So you need to have a rearview mirror to tell you where you've been. It's not safe without mirrors. But the rearview mirror is much, much smaller than the windshield. The windshield is much bigger. And I think that's sort of like a metaphor for our whole concept as Jews and uh, collectively and, and individually. The suffering, the adversity, the troubles in our past, yeah, that's the rearview mirror. We look back and we can still see it and we're cognizant of it. And we remember, we know where we've been. We know what, 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 we know what we've overcome and we know what we've been Jewish in spite of. But that's just a little rearview mirror. The windshield, that takes up 95% of, 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 of our view. That's where we're going. That's Mashiach. That's the goal. The glorious end to all of our problems. The solution that is already in sight. And, and, and in fact, we can see it so clearly that in, in many ways, mentally, emotionally, it's almost like we're already there. And even though we're not yet there, it's ahead of us. And, and, and maybe it's not even just the rearview mirror where we see the suffering from the past. Even in the side mirrors, we see the suffering of the present. Mashiach's not here yet. The world still has imperfection here in the present. Okay, But the past and the present are in the mirrors, which are much smaller. The future is the windshield, which is by far most of what we're looking at, most of what we're thinking about and, and focusing on concentrating. And that's most of Jewish identity is about what we're going toward and what the goal is and what's going to be. And it's going to be good. And it's wonderful. So now we can answer all of our questions, actually. Bamidbar literally means in the wilderness. What's the wilderness? Exile. Exile is a wilderness. Midbar amim the wilderness of nations, where the Jewish people have been dispersed. So the very end of Bamidbar, we're still in an exile mentality a little bit more. And uh, therefore, Moshe is speaking about the details of the exile with a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more exactly. So he tells them specifically the location, Arvas Moyav, which is a very specific location. But by the time we get to Dvarim, Dvarim is Moshe speaking to the people who are about to enter the land. Like, they're literally just about to enter the land. So they already, they're already in the mentality of entering Eretz Yisrael. So at that point, we don't get into specifics about the exile, about where we've been. We don't go, in, go into little nitty-gritty details. So therefore, when, when we describe the wilderness, we just say, Eber Yardin, Bamidbar. The wilderness on the other side of the yard. Well, that's a very general way of describing it. Yeah, you know why? Because that's the past. That's what we've overcome. That's the wilderness stuff. And we acknowledge that that's part of our story, but it's not, it's not what we want to look at 
you know, zoomed in, in in graphic detail. You know what we do want to look at very, very closely and focus on? Where we're going, the future, what we're headed toward. And that's why, like we, we, we asked, why does he call it Avera Yardin? Why do they call it the other side of the Yardin? That's the side that they were on. You don't call the side that you're on the other side. You call the side you're not on the other side. But that's the answer. Because by the time they were about to enter the land, mentally and emotionally, they were already there. To the extent that the place where they were physically standing already felt like the other side. Meaning the wilderness, the midbar, the exile, already felt like a foreign place, something that they'd already left behind. Even before they'd actually entered the land, it felt like exile and wilderness was like, that's in the rearview mirror already. We're already, we can see the promised land ahead of us in the windshield, and, and, and it's almost as if that's where we are. So when we think about where we've, where we've been, or even where we are presently, that becomes like the other. And that's really the connection to the nine days, is that we can look at the nine days as, for, through the windshield or through the mirror. We can think about all the terrible things that have happened to us and make that the focus. Or we can acknowledge it, yeah, it's part of, it's part of our story. But it's just a rearview mirror. The main thing, the main focus during the nine days is on redemption, what's ahead of us. And we can feel it. And it's so palpable. And, and it's so real to us we're, that, that, that you know, we're, we're crying with longing and yearning for it to, 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 to happen already. So during these nine days, we have a very potent opportunity to define ourselves as Jews, both on an individual level Think about everything that you are going through and everything you've been through. And also to define ourselves as Jews collectively, as a nation, as, a, as, a, as, a, as thousands of years of history. We have a choice right now. How to define it. To define it with a rearview mirror perspective. All the things that we are, we're Jewish in spite of. All the trials and tribulations or to define the whole thing with a windshield view. All the things that we're Jewish because of, the wonderful, wonderful future and destiny of the Jewish people to bring Mashiach, to bring peace, prosperity to ourselves, to the entire world, may it be now.